Just a quick message before we start, everyone. This is Sam. We are hosting a live event in London on Tuesday, the 25th of October at a pub, a lovely little place called the Marylebone Bar on Marylebone High Street, London, W1. And we would love for you to join us. There's going to be guests, including magazine legend James Brown, musician and writer Johnny Dorks, who was on the show quite recently. Both of them talking about their new books and more besides. There will also be a DJ set from Theo Delaney, my big brother from the Johnny Friendly radio show. There'll be free Heineken Zeros, if that's your thing. If not, there'll be a bar as well for proper booze me and dan foley will be there doing a live q a it'll be lovely to get together if you want to buy tickets they're seven quid five pound if you're a member of reset extra and all proceeds go to calm a wonderful mental health charity called the campaign against living miserably if you want to buy a ticket then go to my twitter at delaney man to find out more cheers Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the charity founder, fundraiser and former soldier, Paul Minter. Paul served for 18 years in the army, completing several tours of both Iraq and Afghanistan. Years of armed conflict and numerous narrow escapes from death eventually left him with PTSD and Paul was medically discharged with an honour for bravery. After losing 14 former comrades to suicide, Paul was inspired to establish the charity Head Up, with the goal of creating a retreat for members of the armed forces to receive mental health treatment away from a military environment. I spoke to Paul a few days after he completed his 5,000 mile run around the UK coastline to raise funding and awareness for this project. Paul has been through a personal hell, survived and is now focusing all his energy on helping others. It's an amazing story with a lot to take out for everyone, not just those from a military background. I'll let him tell you more. Paul Minter, welcome to The Reset. Hello, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Congratulations on the completion of your epic run. Um, I know you you only finished uh, fairly recently. Uh, What an incredible achievement, mate. Um, But what I really want to talk about is what started all of this. You know, what was the point at which you decided you were going to, you know, start raising money and start up an organisation to help people from a military background with their mental health? Well, after 18 years in the army, I've done five frontline tours, um, served in Afghanistan and Iraq on the frontline every time. Um, I've done everything you can imagine being on the frontline as a frontline soldier. I've been blown up twice myself. I've seen many friends lose their lives. I've been involved with hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, firefights, contacts with the enemy. And it wasn't later on, later on to the last few years of my career, which I didn't realise it was going to happen. Um, I suffered quite a bit with some mental health problems, but more importantly, I lost 11 friends that took their lives. And I didn't want to be the next person. And as a bit of a summary, me and some others, we left the military we set, we kind of found out the reasons why people weren't getting help, how they were falling through the cracks. We come up with a fantastic, what we believe to be a fantastic plan to try and help those that are falling through the cracks and not getting the help. And as part of that, we thought we needed, how, we set up a charity called Head Up Charity. And as part of that, we was like, well, we need to get the word out there and you know, pe- let people know who we are, how they can use our services, um, let them see the passion that we've got behind it, get people involved, get some fundraising, get some brand awareness. 
And we've all decided to do big challenges. I was the first one, and I decided to run 5,000 miles around the UK coastlines, covering England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, Isle of Wight, and Isle of Man, which hasn't been done before. And the whole purpose was to go all around the UK, speaking to multiple different organisations, establishments, and individuals, and letting people know who we are, and just try and make as much noise for mental health, for mental resilience, and just giving people a bit of hope and letting them letting people know who we are and how they can use our services. Can I go back a bit and ask you about your own personal struggles? Um, you know, what what led you to uh, join the uh, the military in the first place, uh, and and what part of the military we did you serve in? So when I was about eight years old, I remember watching a I think it was a Royal Marine Commando program on TV, and I don't throughout my whole childhood. Um, I never knew anyone in the military, not one person, but I was just absolutely obsessed with watching this program and seeing what they went through, um, the hardness of it, uh, the camaraderie behind them and how everyone stuck together and they worked as a team. And that was it. I was kind of obsessed with joining the Royal Marines from a young age. Um, Fast forward another eight years, I turned 16 years old and I wanted to go and join the Royal Marines and I asked my mum if I can go. She wanted me to go to college first. I spent two months doing that, and it just wasn't for me. My heart was set on it. I didn't end up joining the Royal Marines in the end. I ended up joining the Army, um, the Household Cavalry Regiment. And it was a fantastic place to be, really good group of soldiers. And, um, yeah, so and that was it, really. I was I was stuck deep into, into military life, and I, I absolutely loved it. I joined up in 2003, so the Iraq War had just started, Um so for me personally, I couldn't have joined up at a better time. And throughout my whole 18 years, I got to see the whole of Afghanistan and Iraq campaigns through. And so it sounds like, to begin with at least, it was very good for your mental health because, like you said, the com- camaraderie and just the whole culture. You know, I know lots of lots of military men have said, you know, it's it's about the routines and all of that stuff. It's actually it's, it's good for your mental health, right? It's fantastic. I mean, when you look at it from a mental health point of view, you're surrounded by people all day. You have a very good routine. You get up early. You do the stuff that you're supposed to do first things in the morning, like you make your bed and you you look after yourself. You have a shower. You get yourself ready to sports kit. You go downstairs. You're socializing instantly. You're going out and you're doing fitness. You're ticking all the boxes of what you should be doing. You're spending all day uh, with like-minded people. You're eating quite often. You're eating fairly well, and you're doing everything you should do. You come, you you join sporting groups, you join um, social groups, all sorts of stuff. And there's something there for everyone, and it's a, it is a fantastic place to be. So, no matter what I say on this podcast about mental health or the struggles or things that are going wrong, I don't want it to ever be taken away. How good joining the armed forces is. It's it's a real life changer for so many people it gives people structure and it gives them comfort and it gives them security as well did you need that when you were younger i mean did you need a you, you say that you know you saw stuff it appealed to you what do you know why it appealed to you did was, was there stuff like that that you felt was lacking in your life or i have to be completely honest for some people that join the armed forces yes it is for me no not at all i had a good upbringing um i just i personally believe that there's a lot of us with a sort of warrior mindset and it's in our dna it goes back from years hundreds thousands of years of fighting um and it's something that just as a young teenager young man it just appealed to me i don't know what it was i just had the hunger for 
being on the battlefield, if you like. Action. Action, Action. exactly. Yeah. Um, so when did it, you, you say that for most of your career, you know, obviously you, you did see a lot of action in Iraq and Afghanistan, but you coped quite well, it sounds like, for for a lot of it. What 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 was the turning point for you, though? Well, to start with, I loved going. When I, I first went away to Afghanistan, we were the very first ones in there in um, 2006, in Dahomey province, that is. So that was, that's kind of like the Taliban hotspot. It's where they completely taken over. And we were the first ones out there since the Russians went in in the 80s or 70s, whenever it was. And... Um, I was 20 years old and I was a gunner on a vehicle. And as soon as we, we landed our plane from the UK into Afghanistan, we were getting shot at. So it, it didn't stop from that day as forward. As soon as you touched down, your plane was being shot at? We, weren't, we didn't even touch down and, and there was rounds coming into the aeroplane, yeah. It was, it, was a real hot, it was a real hot spot and we knew exactly what we were going out to do. How, how did you feel? Like that's, that's really like saving Private Ryan shit, that. I mean, how did that feel? How old were you? 20, just turned 20 years old. Yeah. And were you expecting that? Had they said, look, this is going to be, as soon as we get there, this is going to go off? Um, we had, well, the, the MPs, the government were saying it's a peacekeeping mission. Right. Um, but the, the generals and the colonels and everyone in the army were going, don't listen to them. You're going to go into, it's going to be heavy. And they yeah. trained us preparing for it. So we were prepared. We were ready. It was a bit of a culture shock, you know, the, the heat of landing in like 45 degree heat and rounds coming around. I think instantly everyone just went straight into, right, here we go. So you got off the plane with your weapon having to immediately engage with the enemy? But thankfully, we didn't have to engage. Um, they were just rounds. They were just letting us know right. that they were down there. So right. by the time we were, we were in a, a semi-secure area, I'd already been secured off. Um, but they, they let us know as we were coming in. Know, you could hear wow. the rounds coming in. Wow, that's incredible. So you, so you were there for a number of years and you you obviously were someone who, who was able to cope mentally with the with the, the daily sort of stresses of, of being in conflict. Yeah, so just kind of going back to the last question, uh, it, it ties in with that one. Yeah. Um, I, I love being out they're fighting. I know it sounds a bit weird to people, but when we got out there, we saw, and I hope you don't mind me saying it on this, we saw women being stoned. We saw um, children, things happen to children that shouldn't happen. Um, We saw villages and men being taken away and killed. All this horrible stuff that was happening to these local villages that didn't want that. So when we then started actually fighting with the Taliban, we, to us, they were like the most disgusting people and this needed to stop. And we were the we were the guys there that were going out to going out there to protect them, and they they were up for fighting. They were just it was constant every day fighting, fighting, fighting. And some people didn't like it. Some people, some of the guys that we were fighting with alongside, um, it was too much for them. It's too much of a culture shock. You know the realism of being killed, watching their friends being killed. It was too much, as you can only imagine. You know we come from a very comfortable Western mm-hmm. life where our mums cook our dinner and do our washing, and then all of a sudden you're watching people getting killed and rounds coming past you, any minute could be you. Mm. So it's a real struggle for a lot of people, for myself and and others. Um, I don't know, you've got to get yourself into that sort of mindset. You've become a bit feral. You've become um, warrior-headed. You you know, you're, you're ready. It's kind of like going into a rugby tackle. You don't go in half, half-hearted half because you know you're going to get hurt. You go in and you've got to. You, you've got to get yourself in that position. You've got to 
have the adrenaline and the dopamine and all this aggressive stuff like mm. ready to go and you become you become more more hardened and so I, I enjoyed it but also for a lot of soldiers and they'll tell you this when you are out on the front line and when you are fighting um it's it's a it's a really kind of a nice place to be you don't have the pressures of your day-to-day grind the, the rubbish of your parking tickets and renewing your I don't know, car insurance or all these other crap that happens every single day. All you've got to worry about is the men next to you, the mission you've been given going forward and, you know, with your very good group of guys and protecting each other every single day. It's just very simple, very plain and off you go. And it might be very difficult for a lot of people to get their heads around that. But a lot of people that I meet, a lot of soldiers, myself included, when we go, but when, some people, they have a bit of a, a victim to them. They go, oh, these poor soldiers going out there. But actually, most people, they they want to be back out there. They're like, that was my happy place. That's where I felt the I had a purpose. I had something that I was doing. I had a real mm. desire. And, and and I had a group of people around me that all felt the same. Um, so a lot of people do struggle because a lot of the trauma happens on the battlefield. But at the same time, the place where if they could go back to the most, would also be the battlefield. So it's a real confliction. Yeah, I can really see that, though. You've explained that really vividly, that sort of thing where you've just got complete focus on what's going on in the moment. I mean, it's like people talk about mindfulness, don't they? Just focus on the moment, nothing else. Well, I suppose, in a weird way, that's what's happening on the battlefield. Absolutely. That's exactly it. You've got to wake up, get given your mission, eat your food, make sure your weapon's clean, and do what you've got to do in that mission. And you've got people above you and you've got people below you, you've got people beside you. And you're not always the, the, the decision maker, but you've got your individual mm. um, decisions to make, uh, which is life, life-saving and life-changing decisions. So it's a, it's a real thrill and a buzz, a real drilling hit. So, Paul, what happened when your mental health did start to finally suffer from all of this? So... I, by this point, I'd, done, I'd just come back from my fourth tour in Afghanistan. Um, and it was a very kinetic tour. So I was part of a unit called Brigade Reconnaissance Force. And we were very mission-specific. So we'd go on helicopters. There'd be certain high-level commanders that we'd have to go and get, which are always surrounded by dozens of fighters. And we'll basically go in off of a helicopter, often very early in the morning, just before first light. And we'll go in and conduct our mission, uh, fighting for several hours, get back on a helicopter, and get out, out of there quickly. And this will be rotated all the time. Um, up to this point, I'd, I've also been blown up twice by this point. So one with rocket propelled grenades, which is this huge ambush. Um, unfortunately, only three of us came out of that alive and had to fight our way out in some quite intense firefighting. And I'd also been blown up with a, an improvised explosive device. And the only reason I say this, because I know it might seem weird to people, but it didn't affect me at the time, didn't affect me. Well, not, I didn't realise it affected me. But what... It happened is I go out on tour, I'd be seven months of constant fighting, always on edge, always wondering what's going to happen next. And even though I didn't worry about it at the time, I'd come back to the UK and I'd then have to fit back into normal life. Then I go back out there and I come back and I go back out and come back. Mm. And I think after a little while, because our brains and our bodies and our minds are so complex that things start happening and my brain all of a sudden didn't really know where it was anymore and I suffered extremely with paranoia like mm. it started to creep up on me I, I never had any real um emotions before no, no extreme emotions but all of a sudden i was walking down the road i thinking everyone was talking about me 
um, getting into fights because I thought people were saying stuff and, mm. and were, were after me and I was picking fights on nights out or, or when, if I was just walking down the street with people because I thought that they were doing something that they probably wasn't. And it's, it was a real confliction in my head. And one day, unfortunately, I was in London in Piccadilly, um, just middle of the day on my own, and I, I convinced myself that someone had a, a bomb in his bag. Mm. And I jumped on him and I held his hands to the ground and I told everyone in London he had a bomb. Everyone had to run, run away. Bomb squad came in while I was still holding, I'm still on top of him, holding his hands down. Mm. And next, the bomb squad came in, checked him, and then I was in handcuffs and they took me away. I couldn't compute what was happening. I thought I just like saved everyone from being blown up. And yeah. it wasn't, it was, that was my mind. That was, I, it completely lost touch of reality. And uh, after that, it then led to anxiety. I didn't want to go out anywhere. I didn't want it to happen. I lost a lot of respect from um, some people in the armed forces. And when I say respect, I mean for my job role. So what I was doing, people were a little bit anxious about whether they're going to put me in certain positions because yeah. of what happened. I started feeling crap about myself and then I didn't go out. I stayed, spent a lot of time in my room. I didn't do any fitness. I was a big sports person before that. I just came fairly isolated, which led to depression. Mm. And uh, yeah, that was a, a real turning point. And that went on for a couple of years. That sounds awful, but I, I have to say, you paint such a vivid picture of how these things happen. Because yeah, people's minds and mental health is quite complex, but the way you explain it, it's like, yeah, you're you're in this completely strange alien world of non-stop fighting and conflict, and then you have to go back and just walk along a street. And of course you're going to start thinking weird thoughts because you're you're almost going in between two different planets basically your brain's going to get like totally discombobulated by that yeah um, absolutely yeah and that's it, it exactly must, what happens that's the change isn't it and that's that's pretty much everyone when when there's a war happening and you're going on tours tours only last a certain amount of time so everyone mm. sort of goes through that i suppose don't they i mean it's, it must be a very common reason for people developing mental health struggles because of the back and forth the whole time into these two different personas that you have to have you have to have your civilized person and your warrior person it's quite hard isn't it yeah absolutely and what the army and the armed forces are very good at doing and they have to do it they get you to such a state of of high level alertness and, re and readiness yeah they get you they get you battle ready so you're ready to go and fight now, it's very easy to kind of sit back in our chairs after watching films and documentaries and thinking, oh, yeah, people just go out and fight. But actually, when you're in that position, and there's rounds coming down everywhere and your friend's just been blown up or you lost a couple more before and you're having to kill people and other stuff's happening, you have to be in a real sort of warrior mindset. You have to be ready to do whatever's going to come next and keep going and keep going. And the army are very good at getting you to that position where you need to be. But what they're not very good at doing is bringing you back down. So mm. you're, you've, you've got, they've got you to that state. You've been fighting for seven months on a battlefield very intensely or quite intensely, depending on what, what you're doing. And then, you're, then that's it. You're back into normality. And they just expect you to, to just carry on as normal. But unfortunately, your, your, your brain and your mind and everything is still flying a million miles high. You're still, you know, you're still battle ready. You're not supposed to be in civilian street. You're not supposed to be walking around people with that sort of mindset, but you just, ex you just expected to get on with it. Is it, is it dangerous? Like, or, you know, almost irresponsible to almost just toss people back in people who have been, you know, you've created warriors to put them back into everyday society without 
some sort of, I don't know what, but, you know, whether that be therapy or whatever you need to do, is it, is it a dangerous thing? I mean, you know, I, you say that you were going around, you, you, you must have been dangerous to other people. You're a trained fighter. You're on Civvy Street. You're understandably suffering from paranoia and you're starting fights. And that that is, that's a problem, isn't it? Absolutely. No, it's, it's very dangerous. And it's also very irresponsible, I think, of the armed forces to allow that to happen. And what would often happen is the guys who have been on the battlefield together, the bond that they've got is unbelievable. And now they're in groups and there's a big drinking culture in the armed forces. Yeah. So they all go out drinking. Um, you know, after eight, eight or ten drinks, you, you, you kind of lose a lot of your senses and your, your reason, reasonable um, uh, thought process. And then something might happen to one of your friends. You don't know what's happened, but all you know is this is that's your your buddy that you're on a battlefield battlefield yeah. for the guy you've been running into bullets for and, and putting your life on the line. And now all of a sudden, another group of people are now starting trouble with your one friend. These groups of guys who've just been on a battlefield and a, a, a war warriors, if you like, and now all they're thinking is I've got to protect my friend because they've had yeah. some drinks. They're not thinking of the of the uh, rational thought process behind it they're just going straight in and it yeah, happens yeah. all the time and it's a what should happen in my personal view um well not just mine i know there's many others that believe the same is there should be a process and methods and techniques that then teach people coming back from these places and how they can relax calm themselves down bring themselves into a more sociable, reasonable way of thinking. And that's exactly what we want to be teaching at our retreat for the charity. Did you, um, after after the incident with your arrest and then subsequent, you know, um, mental health problems, did, did you go on another tour after that? Or did you, was that the point at which you started winding down and thinking maybe, maybe that's enough? Um, well, it might sound a bit weird to people, and it is kind of weird, but the army solution to that was to send me back to Afghanistan for nine months, um, a place where they probably thought, well, if he's going to be dangerous, then send him back out there. That's where right. we needed yeah. people like that. Um, so I went out there for nine months, and I, I really felt it, like mentally, I did. I got on with what I had to do, but I, I wasn't the same person, and I knew it, and it's um, yeah, it was a very strange place to be and I just didn't want to be out there anymore I just wanted to come back and when I came back I just wanted to be out there I was just very very unsure and very confused person do you mind if I ask you about you know about about your friends who you mentioned who, who took their own lives well yeah. I mean did that happen to uh, are we talking about throughout all of the years that you were active yeah so when I first joined 2003 up until probably what 2015 16 maybe even yeah 16 17 um i didn't know anyone not one person that have taken their life to me it was just a, a story that you'd heard of like things that had used to happen and it just didn't happen um afghanistan came to an end i think what 2014 15 roughly um and around 2016 17 that's when i started to i lost the first person and i was like oh, blindly what happened there you know you're thinking i wonder what was happening in his life for him to do that and then another person, another friend. And I was like, what's going on? And then that's when my trouble started to come. And I was thinking, oh, no, you know, I'm going to be this next guy. I'm, I'm living in my room pretty much all day, every day for four, like, five, six months, not moving, feeling depressed, feeling crap about myself, not wanting to be here anymore. And I'm just thinking, I'm the next guy. I'm going to be another one of my friends. And uh, 
I mean, every single one of these, my friends, it was just, it, it was a real, I don't know how to explain it, a real sort of um, unrealistic thing that was happening. It's almost like it wasn't happening, uh, mm. losing so many friends. And I lost my 11th friend. Unfortunately, he took his life. I mean, he lived in the same corridor as me and uh, went over my, my door one day. I found him. He'd hung himself. Oh. And uh, and I'd also, I was in a really bad place myself. And I was just, I thought, this is it. I don't want, this is, you know, I've just lost another friend. I don't want to be the next person. I was getting some help from the army, from the army which I didn't like. I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't helping me. Uh, it made me feel even more of a victim. Um, and then I decided to go away and do something about it. I had a bit of a, a light bulb moment one morning and I just woke up uh, about three o'clock in the morning, put my trainers on, went for a run, which is the first time I'd done it in about 10 years. Um, came back, tied in my room and decided, right, I'm getting out. I'm getting, moving away from the army for three months, whether they like it or not. And I'm going to start finding ways to make myself feel better. And that's exactly what I've done. Um, well, that's an amazing epiphany that you had really there without much help. Can I just ask you, you know, you talk about the camaraderie in the army. And I, I can I can pick I can imagine, I guess, uh, you know, on the battlefield and you describe it really well, but what about actually talking to each other about the way you feel? Is there much of that? Or is it a very, as as people would imagine, a sort of a, a macho atmosphere where that sort of stuff doesn't get talked about? Um, I say certainly through my career, it didn't really get spoken about. Um, I think also you don't really wanna because you the thing is, we're in the um, army or armed forces, you have you are quite a close network of people. Even though that network could be 100, 200 people, you are still fairly close. And you've got those that you want to impress above you. You've got your peers, either side of you that you look after, and you've got uh, you look after each other, and you've got those below you who look up to you. And you don't want to when, pe- when you don't you want people to see you as a strong person. You don't want those below you who idolise you and think, oh, this guy, you know, he's all singing, all dancing. He's, you know, he's done this, he's done that. And all of a sudden you're coming out and you're going, yeah, I don't feel good. At the time, at that moment in time, to us, that would, that would, it's a sign of weakness in yourself rather than looking at someone else at being weak. So if a friend come up to me and said, look, I was, I'm not really not feeling good. I wouldn't mind. I'd be like, well, okay, well, what can we do to help you? But, for me to say to someone, I'm not feeling good. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to put that pressure on them. I wouldn't want them to think any less of me. So I think it's more of a personal thing than it is a each other. Uh, you can't talk to someone because they don't want to listen. It's just more of a pride thing, I think, more than anything. Mm. But things are getting better. The people are starting to talk a bit more now. It is over the last few years, especially when they're losing so many friends. They're like, "Well, guys, come, let's just talk to each other a bit more." But there is a bit more of a pride thing and there's a bit more of a career thing because people like you talk up, your career won't be affected, but it will. Because you go to a doctor and you say, I don't feel good. Probably one of the first things he does in the army is he gives you six weeks medical medical uh, prescription for antidepressants. and says, come back in six weeks after this course. Um, because you're on um, antidepressants, you can't go near any sort of weapons, any vehicle systems, which is what our job is. So then now all of a sudden you're sat in the background, you've, You've gone from being maybe, for example, myself, I was a weapons instructor. I weren't even allowed to take people in ranges. I wasn't allowed to go near ammunition. I wasn't allowed to do any of the jobs where there were, where there were weapons, which is everything pretty much. Mm. So there was very little for me to do. And everyone's like, going, what are you doing? Why are you here? 
Um, so then you've got to tell people and then people were a bit unsure how to take it. And then all of a sudden you see people not really hanging around with you because they don't know how to react or what to do. Um, so it is, it, it can be a, a real career stopper as well for people. So it feels like when you're there and you're in what you call the warrior mindset, I mean, you know, showing vulnerability just doesn't fit for all sorts of different reasons. I mean, genuinely, it sounds like it would, I can see how it, it would genuinely make you a, a less effective soldier to sort of show vulnerability or even acknowledge it. So unfortunately, that's just one of the many problems, one of the many horrors of, of, of being in, in armed conflict. But it seems to me that it's when you get back, that's that's when there's a responsibility, isn't there? Where, yeah. uh, and that seems to be what, what you are now advocating for is when they get back, and especially when they leave. I mean, when you do literally leave, is there like what, what you might call an aftercare service? Or is it like once you're done, you're done? No, you are completely utterly cut off. It's done. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of the things that people suffer with the most. When we're in the army, I keep saying the army, armed forces as a whole, but army because mm. that's what I know. Mm. When you are in the army, um, you almost on a weekly basis, um, it's constantly, you have to, um, you you do what you call the sixth discipline, so like loyalty, integrity, um, selfless commitment, and a bunch of other things. You constantly repeating mm. this. You it's com- completely installed to you. Loyalty is like almost number one. Like loyalty, you should be loyal to each other. You must be loyal to the cause, to the army, to the queen. Mm. Um, and we believe it. It's and because we are, we become very loyal. And then all of a sudden, you leave the army, um, and that's it. You don't hear anything again. Doesn't matter what you could. You could have been medically discharged because of PTSD, because of mental health problems caused from the armed forces. But once you, once your last day is and you hand in your your identification card, that is it. You won't hear anything else. There's like NHS will help you right now. Mm. Um, so that loyalty doesn't work both ways. And I think there's a lot for people to take. Um, and then, but people have got friends. They've got friends who want to stay by them. But everyone's got their own life to move, get on with. People, you know, everyone's life these days are very busy. So people do slowly become forgotten about. And if you've gone, if you left the army, and what often happens, you go through a real sort of um, uh, changing uh, point once you leave. And you do, you go a bit quiet and you, you, your friends don't hear from you. So because they're not hearing from you, they're not really contacting you. And, you know, you lose your friends, you lose your family, you, you lose your belonging, your identity. And it's really tough for a lot of people. Yeah. And and I, I guess as well, you you know, the way that you described the way in which, you know, um, being in active service sort of appealed to you in your mindset, you must miss all the just the simple adrenaline, the, the adrenaline and the focus and, and the dopamine and all of those things that must have been generated by the all action life of, of being out there in Afghanistan. That's gone, too. So just from a physical point of view, you're gonna. It's gonna affect you, your mental health really badly, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, exactly that. And um, I love being in. I love being in the army. I'll go back and do it all over again. But there's so many positives that can come out from being in there. Mm. Um, but they have a lot to work on when it comes to mental health, and a lot to work on when it comes to mindfulness and ways that, as, as as humans, it's not just the army. I think it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But the army have more responsibility because of the mindset that they get people to and what, you know, how the sort of person that they make that they sh- really should be bringing them back down and making them a more all-rounded person in every sense rather than just a fighter. 
See, you're obviously very open about this now and, you know, you promoted this and raised awareness of this issue a, a great deal and really powerfully. Have you had any blowback from the army about that? Like as if, you you know, they don't like you saying negative things. Um, not really. They've, they've been fairly quiet. Um, I think they know as well. They know there's a problem and they are working on things. Yeah, they're, they're implementing new teams that come around, wellness teams, uh, mindfulness teams. So they are working hard on it. Um, but there is a big generation's worth of people that are missed out on it. And they are, and there was, there's also a lot more that they can be doing. And one thing that I will say is when I was going through help, but all the help that you get whilst you're a serving soldier is still in the armed forces. So it's in the barracks, it's in people you wear in uniform, there's insignia everywhere. You you're often, sometimes you're wearing uniform as well. So what I said to my doctor, uh, I said, I don't understand. I said, I'm not a psychiatrist or a doctor. I said, but how am I getting help in the armed forces environment if the, the trauma is caused by being in the armed forces? And I said, if I was a burns victim, I wouldn't get help next to an open fire. Or if I was in a road traffic accident, I wouldn't get help next to a motorway or, you know, whatever. Mm. And he was like, no, you're right. And I said, well, why am I getting help in the armed forces? Surely it should be a designated area, which is completely relaxed and, and military free. Um, and he said, well, this is what we've got and this is what we've got to deal with. And to me, that's not a good enough answer, um, which leads on to why, you know, we started this retreat and the retreat will be non-militarised as well. So t- tell me more about the retreat, which is the the um, the, the, the sort of, you know, space, mental health treatment space that your charity heads up is is trying to get funded, right? Yeah, that's right. So when I said to you earlier, I took myself away for three months. What I'd done is I moved moved myself away. Thankfully, my doctor agreed to sign me off for three months. Um, I rented a house out complete, in a place called St Albans, so away from all military environments. Um, and what I'd done is I spent three months of solid uh, working on myself, per- personal development, if you like. And I, I started reading books, listening to podcasts, um, uh, Googling, YouTubing, different ways how I could be a more positive person. So I started learning stuff about nutrition, learn about um, affirmations, journaling, um, sleep cycles. I learned about even in the morning routines. Um, I learned stuff like uh, animal therapy, music therapy, cold water therapy. I learned about stoicism, law of attraction. And I didn't just learn about them, but I, set, I, I delved into them. So, for example, nutrition, I did, there's lots of things saying, this is what you should eat, this is what you shouldn't eat. But what, yes, we all know what we should and shouldn't do. But when you give more of a, a meaning and understanding as to why, so, okay, but why, if, why should I eat that good food? Well, when you eat certain foods or, certain, or have certain drinks, it has a certain effect on your, in, in your gut and your microbiome, which then get, runs through your, your vagus nerve up to your brain. And it has effect up in your brain, which affects your moods throughout the day. So you're like, oh, right, okay, so this is why. So if I'm eating all this sugar or I'm eating this processed food, it's going to affect my mood. But if I start to add more greens and more um, uh, bacteria-friendly foods and drinks, then I start to feel better. Um, so then I started really learning actually the, the wires rather than the just, if you like. Mm. And then as I started implementing this stuff within, I'd say, probably two to three weeks, I felt better than I ever felt in my whole life. I wow. couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, this is it was such simple stuff. It wasn't like crazy, like, going to university and learning about everything from a textbook it was just yeah. basics i learned from youtube and just putting it into my life and 
then I started helping some other friends I knew were struggling. And then they started telling their friends and their friends. And before you knew, I had about 30 people that whilst I was getting um, becoming a better person, I was helping them as well. And some fantastic stories came from it. And then I was like, this needs to happen on a bigger, wider basis. And um, then when I went back to the unit, that's when I lost my 11th friend who I found hanging. Right. And I was like, right, that is it. I'm out. And I'm going to do something about this and get these teachings out there. It's very simple, basic, but effective teachings. And me and three other veterans, uh, we came together and put a business plan together. We've done lots of market research as to pe- why people were not getting help, why um, they were struggling to get help, why when they got help, they were using excuses not to go. And we decided to, to give people a non-psychiatrical treatment. So it's just stuff that everyone can use in their own day-to-day life. So it's lifestyle mental- advice. Lifestyle advice, yeah. exactly. Just giving people better understanding and awareness of all those different things I spoke about, plus some more, um, for seven days. So we thought a residual retreat, even though it's for armed forces, personnel and veterans, it's completely non-militarised so people can relax. It's going to be in Worcestershire, so central of the UK. So it's non, it's not, um, we're not regionalising ourselves, which a lot mm. of people found that was happening. Um, also, the, I think the, the best thing about our charity is it's for anyone of any mindset in, in the armed forces or veterans. So you can be in the best mindset or the worst, but all we say is no medical evaluation. You just load yourselves on the course and you can come down. So that takes away the stigma of having to go to the doctor, asking for help because anyone can come to us. We then capture people at all different levels. And we also, one of the big problems is people will say, I don't want to ask for help. I don't think I'm bad enough. And I don't want to take a place away from someone else. Mm. So what we're doing now is you're not taking a place away from someone because anyone can have it. Um, it doesn't matter what level of, of, of severity or mental health problems you've got. You can come, anyone come and use us. Mm. It's just about making, improving each person. So, I think it's better to get someone when they're in a good mindset rather than waiting till they're in a really bad mindset. And so, and that's what we want to offer. So we're, we are now in a two-year fundraising and brand awareness phase. We're a year into it. I'd like to say we're doing very well and we've really got the name out there and we're, we're, cracked, we're creating a lot of traction. Well, I think it's an absolutely amazing project and you've shown an amazing amount of strength to get from where you were to where you are. And I love the thought that you you actually just by yourself sort of decided to kind of educate yourself on, which is a very hard thing to do when you're at a low point. When I've been at low points, I often am um, just part part of my symptoms is I just don't have the strength or curiosity. Um, and even if people give me good advice, sometimes it's hard to actually act upon it because all you can think is, oh, people don't understand. Nothing's going to help. That's not going to help. This isn't going to help. So that, that's what's very particularly inspirational and impressive about your story is like, you, you know, your three-month retreat where you kind of rebuilt yourself. I can't let you go without asking you a little bit more about the other things that you now have discovered just to help yourself day to day. Because I, I love to leave listeners with sort of tips and i know I, I think i saw in a separate interview that you did on on bbc breakfast that you you just live on a plant-based diet now is that right and that's obviously been a factor yeah i do live on a plant-based diet i certainly wouldn't say that you have to for mental health reasons right. uh, it does certainly help to have more um of the good organic green stuff inside of your body a lot mm. more fiber um but for me that's more of an ethical and okay. a spiritual reason but um, I certainly think that we weigh too much meat, even in talking on a non-biased 
um, part of that. We do eat way too much, um, which causes all sorts of problems for all sorts of different reasons with chemicals and mm. the way animals are treated prior to them going into our bellies. Um, but yeah, so it, I, I've learned a lot. And it, what I would certainly say is I'm by no means fixed. I'm no longer, well, I say mm. fixed, I'm no longer, I say I'm by no means anywhere near being like an all-rounded person that I can just stop doing all these different stuff that I do. I don't think that there's a quick fix. I don't think there's a, something that you, some sort of like one thing that you do, okay, done it, feel better. That's it. I don't have to do anything else no more. What you should do is it should become a lifestyle and and you should become aware of your feelings and triggers and things that start to happen to you. Um, and when you start to feel certain certain ways and emotions start running, certain different avenues, you can then use these different um techniques and and methods that are out there to make yourself feel better um or just have them implemented into your, your day-to-day life anyway and hopefully prevent a lot of the problems that you had made you're breaking up ever so slightly here unfortunately um I don't, it's just your mic's going in and out just a little bit but it's only just happened now um yeah. but listen we're going to put all the links to the charity and further information on Heads Up and the retreat and all of the amazing, um, you know, uh, charity fundraising feats uh, that you've been involved with, uh, you and your partners, uh, that all of those links will be available under this podcast in the text. So, you know, give generously and read more about Paul's story because it really is an amazing one. Paul, can't thank you enough, mate. And I think there's, you know, Obviously, we're all very grateful for everything that that you and your colleagues do in the armed forces. But also, I think there's so much for anyone, whether they're in the armed forces or not, to take away from from your story. Um, And and you explain it so eloquently. I'm really grateful for your time, mate. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, and like you say, anyone can benefit from all these different things we spoke about. It doesn't have to be people just in the armed forces. Good stuff. Paul, thanks very much. Thank you, Sam. There you go. That was Paul Minter, an inspirational bloke with some incredible insights and a quite infectiously positive attitude. I love chatting to him. If you enjoy this podcast, why not subscribe at samdelaney.substack.com or at hubwave.net. For a fiver a month, you can upgrade and get loads more content, including Club Reset, which is our weekly mental health discussion show, and lots more. Either way, really appreciate you listening. Be lucky. And remember, don't let the dickheads get you down.